Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Wait a minute. Hello and good evening, everyone. Wait a minute. I, I've seen that studio before. Where are you, RFM? Well, I've rearranged my studio in order to completely mimic John DeLynn's studio because I'm so impressed. <laughs> That'll really show him <laughs> With his background and, you know, the bookshelf and the little orange lava light that's going on and even the little gremlin that's sneaking up behind me right now. No, I have, through the graciousness of John DeLynn, <laughs> <laughs> okay you better stop yeah there he is you can see him walking away now he's no longer under the desk so but john delin has been gracious <laughs> enough i'm here in utah for sunstone and lagoon and to visit family and friends and he's allowed me we just got done doing a podcast over nice. for mormon stories about the yeah. affidavits and the Navajo expositor that went about two hours i got half an hour to cover the same material at sunstone on you saturday you can't trust those laws you can't trust william and jane it's not uh it's not that's not okay william and jane law are apostates their testimonies along with austin cowles along with everyone else is not to be trusted no because they just hate joseph smith and they will say anything they can to defame him and the anything they will say always ends up starting with the letter b yeah, and it also happens to be found in DNC 132. Yeah, that's a coincidence. But that's what we <laughs> but that's that's what we got done talking about for two hours. Like I say, <clears throat> John Delin has been so gracious to allow me to to broadcast from his studio. And now I know finally how Scotty feels when Captain Kirk says, Take the con. Yeah. I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. Ah, I tried it. I tried shoving a wiener in the warp drive, Captain, but it did not do a bit of good. <laughs> uh, hey, Woo. How's, how's how's your week going? How's it? You had to, you know, you flew into Salt Lake City. It's been kind of just a lot of chaos, huh? Yes, it's been going a million miles an hour, and I've been traveling at the speed of light and enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, what does God need with a starship? Indeed. So, uh, John DeLynn is going to be leaving here shortly, and I'll be left to my own devices, and God only knows what I'll get up to once he's left, and I'm no longer <laughs> supervised by an adult in the room. But right now, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about, oh, I should let you talk, because you were the one who came up with the that thumbnail to advertise tonight's show. Yeah. And some I, people have been um, thinking you've been overselling this. Well, I don't think I've been overselling it. I think it's a big deal. You think it's a big deal, and we'll see what happens. But I, I think the audience is going to be quite interested to hear what uh, we're going to present tonight because uh, I think it points to a pattern of egregious behavior that is deeply not only unhealthy but unethical. Egregious. That was a yeah. good use of a word, Bill. There you go. I like it. Yeah, I mean, you thought the you thought the hearings by the government today acknowledging aliens and UFOs was was important. Wait till you hear Mormonism live. Did that happen? It did, and it was 
it seemed like the entire hearing, all sides, including the experts and the politicians were like, yep, mm. this is real and we got to start dealing with it. Right. You know what uh, George Carlin said the definition of bipartisan legislation was? What's that? He said it's when the Democrats and the Republicans are getting together to screw you over. Yeah, well, we'll see how this one plays out. And I'm not I'm not too conspiracy minded, but given the track record of the U.S. government's attitude toward extraterrestrials and UFOs in the past decades, and I'm talking about Operation Blue Book, etc., this sudden agreement that these are real makes me wonder what it is they're trying to distract my attention away from. Yeah, we'll see if something comes out in the news in the next 24 hours that we're not supposed to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is great stuff tonight, and uh, we have a special guest tonight to talk us through this. This has to do with the latest report from the Widow's Might, and we covered the CES scandal back in February when it finally went public with the, the order. SEC, the SEC scandal. I keep doing that. It's my dyslexia okay. coming it's to the same the letters, just in a different order, and that's a whole other dysfunctional facet of the church. I know, and mine, too, my dysfunction. <laughs> It's a combination of uh, dyslexia and advancing senility. But you're right. Thank you. It's the SEC. I mean, couldn't they have named that government agency something other than the reverse letters of the church educational system? Wouldn't that have been the decent yeah. thing to do, Bill? It would have. So we covered that, <clears throat> whatever those letters are. Huge scandal. And now what we're going to find out is there's more. That's not the end of the story. And this may end up blowing up and possibly even a larger mushroom-shaped cloud on the horizon than the original story. But we have with us tonight an expert to lead us through the slides from the latest Widow's Might report because Widow's Might has been burning the midnight oil and made this surprising discovery in the past few weeks. And the only reason I happen to have the inside track on this because those were released on Sunday publicly at the Widow's Might website is because I happen to be a member of the Widow's Mike group. And so is Spencer Car Anderson. Car there is By the way, your voice sounds like butter on uh, on John DeLynn's equipment. So take good pictures of what he's using. Let's get that, let's get that for you full time because whatever his mic system is, uh, that microphone right in front of you, it has your voice sounding rich and dark and creamy. Wow. I think I've been down too far. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm sure there will be screenshots of that showing up at Midnight Mormons shortly. <laughs> and my new friend, Jacob Hansen. Yeah. However, I think I will do that. Thank you so much. But we have on with us tonight to help describe this. Another member of Widow's Might who actually knows what he's talking about. This is the professor of accounting. His name is Spencer Anderson. He's been on the show before when we talked about the original SEC not CES, debacle. And he's agreed to join us again tonight, even though he has just moved from Illinois to Indiana, where he has taken a new position as a professor of accounting at the university in Indiana. Do we have him ready to join us? Spencer Anderson, how are you doing? Doing great, how are you doing, RFM? I'm fine, this looks like some kind of tenement that you've managed yeah. to get yourself in. There's no books on the bookshelf. There's nothing on the wall. Yeah, how do you like my furnish furnishings? Not as good. Spartan is how <laughs> I would describe them. But that that's good, because there's nothing to distract you 
from yeah, what it is we'll be talking about tonight and from your work. So where are is, is it the University of Indiana that you have your employment now? It's Indiana University. So don't call it University of Indiana. They'll get all upset with you. I don't know why, but it's Indiana University Hoosiers in Bloomington, oh. Indiana. Okay. Well, I wouldn't want to step on anyone's toes. God forbid yeah. that I should ever do that. But you are a member of, uh, you're still a professor of accounting. Still professor of accounting. That's right. All right. And a member of this loose affiliation called the Widow's Might. Yeah. I got to agree with Bill, though, RFM. You look great. Did you get a, did you get a haircut? Did I you did. Also, okay. You got a haircut. It was you, a little bit too, like a, a little bit too much on the top, I think. But And you're wearing a nice shirt. Like You look like you just got back from the gym or something. Like you really amazing? do. You really do look good. I think it's incredible. Welcome to the RFM gun show, huh? That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm Hans and I'm Franz. And we're yep. here to pump you up. <laughs> you remember that, Spencer? Are you old enough to remember that? Um, no. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't understand probably about 90% of your uh, quotes. It yeah. could be more than Bill. Thank I'm you, not Spencer. sure. <laughs> thank you yeah well, that's okay i'll try and yeah but it is a marvel t-shirt i just want to make sure everybody knows that that's the important thing not the t-shirt or who's in it but the characters that are displayed on the front okay so can we talk about this can you introduce this to us actually don't the first slides actually sort of make reference to the original sec yeah i think that we i think we can jump into it but just the idea here is the widows might have been sitting on this for weeks now making sure that they have it right um they've yes. been going back and forth should we release it well let's run some more tests let's run some robustness analysis and i think that they've done really good work here so um it is probably going to be pretty surprising for people it's, even if they even if they've already read through what has been released recently they're probably going to be even more surprised by some of the stuff we have to reveal tonight so all right. Well, do we have the slides, Bill, ready to go? By the way, I don't know if Maven is in the live chat. I did want to report on her behalf. She's still in India, and I guess it's monsoon season, which may be restricting some of her access to bandwidth, but we'll see what she's able to do. Just wanted to let everybody know that if she doesn't show up as much as she might otherwise, that that's probably why. So are you guys seeing it on the screen or not? Because I am not seeing be. it. I'm seeing a okay. field of orange. Let me try to take it down and put it back up again and see. Let's try something else. Okay, I saw so a little circle going like it was. Yeah, it's acting like it's going to go up, but then it doesn't. So let me just take it down for a second. Stop screen. What Bill is doing Present. right now is he is accessing the Widow's Might website in order to display these slides that went up Sunday on this new issue. See why that, there we go. Okay, let's do that. All right, Spencer, you want to start off and take us through this first slide? By the way, Spencer, just a note that there are a lot of people who will not be watching this, so they won't be able to see the slides. There's a lot of people who just listen to this in audio version, so if you can keep that in mind when you're describing things, that it's got to be clear to people who can't see the slides that are just listening. Yeah, that's great. All right, thank you. Should we just kind of start from the beginning then? Onegaishimasu. All right. So kind of to summarize here, there is an affiliate entity with the church named Deseret Mutual Benefit Administrators, and that we'll call it DMBA from now on. Is that okay? 
Please. Uh, D- DMBA manages the benefits and the retirement and pensions of church-affiliated employees. Right. And I had and, never thought of this before, but obviously the church is a huge employer. And you just stop and think about all the different people they employ, whether it's teachers and janitors at BYU and seminary teachers and uh, general authorities, staff. They've got thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. And for all those employees, they also provide health benefits and pensions and all those other things that like I had when I was in the public sector as a prosecutor and the state was managing that. Um, but the church does that itself, at least since 1970, when they created the DMBA. So they have their own organization that takes care of these very, very necessary, but very commonplace things for their employees. And if you I, remember, I don't know what episode it was, but I thought we were talking about the SEC in it. And we put up on the screen all of the churches hold, not, not, the, not the companies it has investments in, but the actual companies it owns, the media companies and all the other things. So I don't, do you know, just off the back to ask, do you know if this would include all of the subsidiary companies it owns or would those be completely separate from this? Yeah, it would. It would include even Enzyme Peak employees. It would include even DMBA employees. It would include BYU. It would include Deseret KSL, Book. KSL, that kind of thing. KSL. I don't know if they own KSL. Bonneville Communications, if that's mm-hmm. part of KSL, then yeah. that would be included. Yeah. But yep. so many thousands of employees that they do this for. More, more than 35,000 employees. So. It's a big organization. Yeah. So that's what DMBA does. So what is point number two about? It's a whole, so DMBA is a holding uh, company for, uh, it's an investment company that holds the assets um, of employees' benefits uh, and then invests them for a time in which then those benefits can be used. And so a lot of its assets are in the U.S. stock market. Because those assets are in the U.S. stock market, they are subject to SEC disclosure laws. And what's interesting about this, so this is point number three, is DMBA filed its first Form 13F on February 14th, 2020, which is the exact same day that Enzyme Peak filed its first 13F as a consolidated entity instead of using the shell companies that was that it was using before, which I think, uh, I don't think we really need to go back into that. Um, but um, let me let me let everybody know that if you want to know the background with the SEC investigation and the results of it, and the fact that the order that was issued together with the $5 million fine that was assessed against the church and against EP stated that Top church leadership, i.e. the first presidency, including the president of the church, was involved up into his eyebrows in a deceptive practice of creating 13 shell companies in order to hide the amount of assets that the Enzyme Peak Investment Fund contained. And then a whistleblower blew the whistle. I think that's a chiasmus, if not redundant. And then an investigation commenced in 2019, I think. And that's been going on for... A little over three years until the results were announced in February of 2023, which was this year, in which they said, you can't do that. By the way, an important part of this is the 13F filings, which is very common knowledge to those who invest. But to me, who I don't have the knowledge of that, I work in criminal law primarily. But for people who do investments, the 13F filings are de rigueur. They are very commonplace. Everybody understands them. And what it means is that every quarter you have to file a statement with the SEC 
that says certain things about your investments, what you have, and your discretion to invest. What happened was the church created 13 shell companies to pretend that they had these investments when they didn't really. They were held by Enzyme Peak. The 13 shell companies filed 13 Fs, which were giving false information in a number of different ways. And they did that every quarter in order to hide not only the existence of Enzyme Peak, but also the fact that Enzyme Peak has all this money, which means the church has all this money. Right now, it's around $157 billion, billion with a B dollars, that Enzyme Peak has. And this was intended to be kept secret by the church by using this strategy of creating shell companies to hide how much the church had. And I believe it was Roger Clark, who was the head of the Enzyme Peak. Yeah. Uh, the manager just of Insane Peak. Go, I was just, just going to finish this, but to say that Please, he had sorry. said, that's okay, just to finish the thought that Roger Clark had said publicly that the reason that they were keeping this information secret about how much money they had is because they were concerned that if the members knew how much money they had, the members would not pay tithing. Please go ahead, Bill. And I was just going to note, I put into the comments in the live chat, I'll also add it into the source notes for the show, we covered this as Mormonism Live episode 117, Changes to the Temple and the Ethics of Enzyme Peak Advisors. Uh, so we had a conversation there. And I know we've had Spencer on before to talk about some of this stuff in Windows Might as well. So I'll, I'll source that episode as well. Thank you. So going back to you, Spencer, what had happened was that during the investigation, the investigation into the EP, the Enzyme Peak account, had already started in 2019. But a number of quarters went by without Enzyme Peak filing. They had never filed any 13F form with the SEC in the name of Enzyme Peak, even though it was created back, was it 2009? Uh, 1997. Enzyme Peak. Even, when even it was longer created? ago. That's yeah. right, by Gordon B. Hinckley. Yeah. And the threshold, by the way, for filing these is that if an entity has or maintains over a hundred million dollars in stocks in the U.S. stock market. That's the threshold. Once you hit that amount, you're required under the law, and this has been a longstanding law, and everybody who's in the field knows about it. You have to file a 13F on a quarterly basis to disclose to the SEC how much you have and what discretion you have in order to invest it. That's hard and fast. It's a requirement. And the Enzyme Peak never did this. It never did this. From the date of its inception, it never did this until Valentine's Day of 2020. And that was several quarters after the investigation had already commenced. The other thing I just want to mention here, if it's okay, Spencer, because I think I'll make mm -hmm. things clearer later, yeah. is that Roger Clark, who is the gold standard, he wrote books about this, textbooks that were used in school. You may have studied some of them, Spencer. I think maybe you said you did. One of his about, one of his research papers, yeah, about investment, looked up to, very much so. He was the one who's in charge of Enzyme Peak. He knows perfectly well that you have to file the thirteen Fs on a quarterly basis. He didn't do it, which means oh, let me let me add one other thing. We also found out that he was also the head of another investment group that was a private investment group separate and apart from the church, which had basically existed at the same time as Enzyme Peak existed. And strangely enough, even though Enzyme Peak is over here not filing any 13Fs in its own name and filing false information under all the shell companies, 
over here at the same time, when Roger Clark is the head of a private investment firm, they're filing their 13Fs from the beginning every quarter, and they're filed correctly with correct information in it. So there's no question that Roger Clark knew how to do it. He does it over here in his private investment firm. And if he doesn't do it over here in Enzyme Peak, it's not because he doesn't know how or not because he knows he is supposed to and that the law requires him to. It's because he is yielding his, I'm going to say it, his integrity. He's yielding his professional integrity to directions that he's receiving from church leaders. They call that church broke. Yeah, he, yes, he had a decision to make there, and the decision he made was, I will follow what my leaders tell me, which is to keep all this hidden, even though it violates my professional ethics. Have I said anything wrong there, Spencer? No. Everything, you got everything right about Enzyme Peak. Okay. So let's go ahead and go on to the next point here on the summary. All right. So I think we're on number four. So widows might... I mean, you, you can see how this is a little bit coincidental, right? That DMBA files its first 13F on the same day that Enzyme Peak finally starts filing its 13F in the proper manner. Widows, the Widows Might team analyzed DMBA, and they determined that based on the available data that we have, DMBA should have been filing 13F forms on a quarterly basis since at least 2009, and I would say likely earlier than that as well. Um, Okay, what's interesting? Go ahead. Well, you, you tell me what's interesting, and then I'll tell you what I think is interesting. Well, what's interesting about this is that DMBA was not mentioned. This is the next point. DMBA was not mentioned in the SEC settlement with Enzyme Peak in the church, which implies that uh, the SEC has no idea about this or had no idea about this. That was exactly the point that I was going to as well. Okay. <laughs> yes. So go ahead then. Please. Yeah. So, so at this point, so uh, widows, my team is is fairly confident um, that with the available data that they should have filed since at least two thousand nine, um, it's also possible that DMBA's thirteen F filings after that initial date were misstated. Um, however, it's not clear based on the available data. You can't really make a a claim one way or the other. I think. Um, and so Widows My Team is being very conservative here, saying that they assume that once DMBA started filing, that they were complete and accurate. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about why that looks a little fishy, but that's something for the SEC to investigate if they'd like to um, post-2020 uh, period. Okay, so. and that is the summary of the slides that will follow. So let's go ahead and get into the slides. We'll get a, into a little more detail on each of these points. Yeah, so Bill, you asked about this, but DMBA manages the benefit programs. It's mostly uh, health benefits and then the retirement benefits as well um, for the church employees and its auxiliaries. And Bill, it's not showing up the second page. Oh, yeah, sorry. I can, I'll do it right here. Oh, okay, good. And, um, and so this is interesting because I think, so DMBA is a nonprofit affiliate with the church. It's not a a for-profit entity, so it's just like Enzyme Peak is in that respect. But unlike Enzyme Peak, the job of DMBA is to manage retirement benefits, to manage health benefit funds of the employees of the church and its affiliates. In other words, the retirement benefits of BYU faculty, and we talked about this, uh, Bill, but all of these companies listed are the participating employers of 
um, DMBA, meaning that these the employees of all of these organizations, for those of you who aren't looking, that includes Ensign Peak, it includes Deseret Book, Ag Reserves, Bonneville Communications, the church itself, all of the BYU um, entities, um, any of those employees um, will have some, if they have a retirement benefit or health benefits, they will be enrolled in DMBA. Right. And DMBA's uh, job is to take the money that they take out of the paychecks, invest it in such a way that when the time comes due for the pensions to be paid out to these employees and the health benefits to be paid out, that there's money there to do it with. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And in the next slide, it kind of highlights the difference, why this is so different between uh, DMBA and Enzyme Peak. These are different entities, completely separate entities. Um, but as we talked about before with the Enzyme Peak, Enzyme Peak has around $157 billion in assets um, as of the end of 2022, estimated based on Enzyme Peak's analysis or Widow's Might analysis. Um, DMBA, on the other hand, has about $14.77 billion in assets as of 2021. Um, still a lot of assets. That's a lot. Um, but this is a really important distinction here that these funds, if I'm a faithful member, these are not funds that belong to God, so to speak. So when faithful members say, I'm paying tithing because it's God's money and then I don't need to worry about it anymore – this is very different because these funds belong contractually to the employees of the church and the employees of its affiliates. And, and so there, I feel like this is, if even if I'm a faithful member of the church, I, I think I should, even if I have faith in tithing and I have faith that everything's, you know, it's not my job to worry about where tithing goes. This is very different because this, these are funds that don't belong to the church, essentially. Right. They belong, they belong to the employees. To employees. Yes. That's right. I would assume, too, that this would also be the funds that pay, for instance, emeritus general authorities. So when Marlon Jensen is reaches the age of 70 and he is no longer a official employee of the church, he moves into emeritus status. He is essentially still collecting a paycheck. I would imagine it does come out of these funds. Yes. If assuming he does collect a pension paycheck, then yes, that would be the case. Anything else on this slide, Spencer? Um, we can talk about this in a little bit, but you know, the question is, should DMBA have filed a 13F form prior to 2020, right? Prior to the time in which it did. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of narrow down the, the assets that DMBA has that would require a 13F filing. And remember that there's a threshold there are certain investments that would require a filing, and you have to have at least $100 million in those types of investments in order to qualify or in order to be subject to the 13F rule. And, and so that's kind of where we're going with this. Now, with this graphic here, it splits it off based on whether DMBA has discretion over the assets or if the employees have discretion over the assets. For example, so if I'm an employee of BYU, if I choose my own investments for my retirement fund, DMBA doesn't have to report on a 13F filing any of those types of investments because the employee is the one that is, has discretion over them. The ones that they that DMBA would have to uh, report based on would be ones that DMBA has sole discretion over, which would include still... Um, 
potentially 9.23 billion assets that they have discretion over. Mm. And so we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper in the, in the subsequent pages about whether these are subject to 13F rulings or not. Before we go to the next slide, Bill, there is something else on this slide that I wanted a comment from Spencer about. Because this and Bill, is a bit sorry, of a Bill, we're on page we're actually on page three at this point, or at least I am. Oh, can we stay on page two for a second? Oh, okay. Sorry. I was I jumped ahead and I thought that we were ahead. Sorry. Okay. Well, there it's a bit of a detective story as to how Widows Might figured this out. And that's in that middle paragraph. And it talks about federal form fifty five hundred. And this, the slide says, as an employee benefits administrator, DMBA is required to disclose plan assets and investments on federal form 5500. Now, my understanding of that is that, yes, DMBA did make those disclosures. This is where the federal government is in charge of making sure that when people are in charge of pensions, that they're actually doing it in an ethical way that ends up paying off pensions and healthcare benefits. And when people get to the end of their career, there's money there and the people in charge haven't taken it all and gone off somewhere on vacation and said, sucks to be you. But this yeah. federal agency to which the federal form 5500 is made is not the SEC. It's a different agency. Is that correct? Right. Right. So they file form, like you said, RFM, these forms are required in part because there's a public interest in making sure pensions are properly and sufficiently funded. The 50, form 5500 goes to the Department of Labor, the IRS, and another entity, a regulatory entity that I can't remember what it is, that basically makes, makes sure that companies are providing pension funds um, in an upright manner, okay, so that they're sufficiently funded and things like that. So they have to provide things like actuarial models. They have to provide their assets and liabilities. They have to provide a detailed list of their investments, which is where um, it comes in to that part comes into play here. Exactly. And my understanding is that the people who are in charge of DMBA are doing the correct thing in making their filings on Form 5500 to the Department of Labor in these other two places, not the SEC, because it, the 5500 form doesn't go there. But the 5500 form does contain a recitation of the assets that they're managing. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's kind so of widows, weird. So widows might trips to this and says, wait yeah. a second, they're talking about their assets, and it sure looks like their assets in the US stock market based upon these forms 5500 that they have been filing as they're supposed to during the course of the lifetime of DMBA, sure looks like they got more than $100 million in the US stock market. But DMBA is not filing the required 13F filings with the SEC once they reach that threshold. That's that right. Correct? That's yeah. right. And, and I was going to say, it's, it's kind of weird that they were filing these Form 5500s because right there is the list of all of their investments, right? And so if they're trying to hide it, they were still publicly reporting it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think maybe just the Form 5500 is so uh, relatively unknown compared to the 13F that maybe they thought that it would just stay hidden forever, these 5500s, um, as opposed to the 13F filings. I, that's, that's a speculation on my point, but it, it's odd to me that DMBA was filing some regulatory filings that they had were supposed to that contained a list of their investments, but not another one. Um, mm -hmm. And it may be that they inadvertently and unintentionally outed themselves. 
Right. As soon as someone came along as intelligent as the widows with the widows might, and I'm not talking about me. And I'm also not talking about you. We both know who we're talking no. about who figured yeah. this out. Yes. Um, smart enough to put that together, to look at these because these are publicly available filings. The 13 F's are when they file them, but the form 5500s are also publicly available. And he saw that went to it, figured it out, looked at 13 F's as there's no 13 F's until Valentine's day of 2020 and thereby hangs the tail. Yes. Is, are these 5,500 forms easy to request? Um, you you know what you're doing, if you know what you're looking for, are they easy to get your hands on? Yeah, they're publicly available. And in fact, at the Widows Mike website, you can actually click the links to get the DMBA form 5500s. Um, they're not easy to wade through. Um, they're like in PDF format. They are very difficult to, it's not like an easily um, archivable uh, form, if that makes sense. And so once you get it, uh, you know, wading through it is kind of difficult, but. But yeah, you can you can look it up online. In fact, any any of you can go to the Widow's Might main page, go down to sources, and then uh, search for fifty five hundred, and you can look up all of their fifty five hundreds. What I said when I had inadvertently muted myself for a moment was that Widow's Might has waded through them, yeah, thoroughly and with a fine tooth comb. All right. So what is the next slide? The slide that you were on, but that we were not at yet, Spencer. Yeah, I apologize. So this is where I was talking about how these aren't funds that belong to God, so to speak. These are funds that are contractually uh, held by the employees of the church and its affiliate com affiliates. And so um, as, a, as a faithful member of the church, I would think that I would want, I would I would be concerned about this uh, DMBA, this behavior, because it's not in God's hands at this point. It's run by the church. This DMBA is run by the church, but these are not God's funds. These are the employees' funds. Mm -hmm. um, and as we talked about before, Enzyme Peak has $157 billion in assets. Um, DMBA, as of the end of 2021, had, um, or at least reported, um, let me see what was the number 14.77 billion in assets. So still quite a substantial amount. And then the diagram or the graph on the bottom, right. That looks like a donut that's part blue and part green. That's what you were talking about when you were talking about the amount that discretion. was held with sole discretion of investment power or decision-making by DMBA. And that is the amount that is looked at for the hundred million dollar threshold of investments in the U.S. stock market that triggers the 13F reporting requirement to the SEC. Right. It's not all of that $9.23 billion that they have discretion over, right. but um, we need to dig deeper to see. It could be up to $9.23 billion at this yes. point. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to go to the next? Are we ready to go to the next slide? My voice sounds so much like butter. It's slipping. It's slipping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so like I said, the question is, should DMBA have filed as 13F forms prior to 2020? Let's just look at just the 9.23 billion of funds that the that DMBA has sole discretion over. Um, of those funds, we can break down the portion that it has discretion over into investment types. Um, we can do that because in the form 5500, they break it down into things like 
categories like government securities, corporate bonds, public stocks, ETFs, um, real estate partnerships, limited partnerships, et cetera. And um, so by breaking that down, the totals down, um, ETFs and stocks that are directly held must be disclosed on the 13F form if you reach that threshold of 100 million. And so as you look here, you can see that there's actually quite a bit, uh, a, a large proportion of that uh, 9.23 billion is in mutual funds and ETFs and stocks. Now, do they have dis are they directly held? That's a different question. Uh, widows might have to look into that as well. So um, some of these funds could be held directly, meaning that they have discretion over them, that they are the ones that are investing, making the primary investment decision. The employees but have those discretions. No, sorry, the DMBA does. Okay, and, thank you. But some of them they might outsource, right? So just because it shows that they have over, you know, rough, over a billion in mutual funds doesn't mean that they are the ones that directly own those. Um, just because it shows that they have a billion in stocks doesn't mean that they directly own those. They might have outsourced those to other investment companies. And they do rely on some of those. Uh, primarily, they rely on outside fund management. And so because of that, widows might have to dig even deeper and kind of say like, okay, let's figure out, are they outsourcing all of it? Because if they're outsourcing all of it, they didn't have to file a 13F at all. Right. But if they, but if they have at least a hundred million that is, that is directly held um, and that they have sole discretion over, then that means that they have to uh, file. What did widows might find out in that regard? So if we go to page, let's see, we're almost there. Not quite there. I mean, they, we already know kind of what they found out, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But um, on, <laughs> here are some, here's just a list of some of its outside management. Um, and like I said here, if you outsource to your third-party fund managers, a lot of times you'll do that to, as a part of your diversification strategy. Um, at that point, the outside management, they would have to file the 13F instead of you. And as you can see, there's there are quite a few this is only a partial list but there's a partial list of something like 25 outside managers um, including you know larger fund managers like vanguard and voya that dmba is relying on and sending a lot of its assets to none of those assets that dmba has that they've outsourced requires any 13f filing and so it's important to kind of make this distinction Correct. For for a time, I had some. What was it? A, a mutual fund with BlackRock. I think it was a an education account for kids, mm -hmm. and they chose where they were investing the money. They had complete discretion. They were the ones who were the smart people who did it, and so I had no. It wasn't anywhere near a hundred million dollars, but I had no requirement to file it with uh, a thirteen F with the government and. Uh, I'm sure that they did because it's BlackRock for crying out loud, but that's not just for my account. It's for all the accounts that they manage. But in other words, if the church DMBA is giving it out to BlackRock or any of these other investment groups, then the church DMBA is not required to file 13F filings for that. And any assets in the U.S. stock market managed by other asset managers do not go toward the $100 million threshold for DMBA to be required to file 13 Correct. Okay. Correct. 
Yeah, so on the next page, it just kind of highlights, uh, for those of you who are watching, it just highlights like what was what is going on like what are the chances that I you know don't I I don't think that this is uh, justification enough to to uh, to allege that the church was doing anything wrong by itself, but the timing of this is what makes this so odd like what are the chances that DMBA barely hit that one hundred million dollar threshold on the exact quarter that Enzyme P got caught and decided to start filing its thirteen Fs as one consolidated entity instead of using these shell companies like it should have been doing all along. I, I don't know. Bill, it seems like a coincidence. can you assess the probability of that? I mean, I just feel like that's a very... I'm not very good at probabilities. I messed up on the land deeds. So I, I'm just going to... Calculations, I'm not very Mr. Good at Spock. Math. math isn't my strong point. I will say this. I mean, we're talking uh, 2020. Uh, what quarter was it that this happened? It's... For the quarter, uh, it's for the final quarter of 2019. They filed, they file it, they have 40 days to file and they filed on uh, February 14th of 2020. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the growth loss or positive growth of the fund would be similar to what they had in Enzyme Peak, even if it's a lower amount that if we follow the trajectory back, it's probably very similar. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty fair. Um, potentially, right? It depends on like what they're what they're investing in. They might be a little more conservative than Enzyme Peak, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's a. It would either have to be highly coincidental that the SEC steps in and then they shift Enzyme Peak shifts its reporting strategy, and at the same time DMBA shifts its reporting strategy, just coincidentally, right? That would be. I would find that very highly coincidental. So here's the thing, Spencer, I'm going to have a question for you after I summarize what it is I think you're saying. So DMBA files its first 13F quarterly filing with the SEC on February 14th, 2020. We already know about that being the first day that Enzyme Peak did the same thing. But just looking at DMBA, they filed it. And when they did so, they reported just over the threshold reporting requirement of $100 million in the U.S. stock market. What evidence do you have that that is more illusory than real and that actually in prior quarters and in prior years, the DMBA really did have more than $100 million in the U.S. stock market for which they were required but failed to file those 13 Fs? Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly the stocks part of things. So like, so DMBA holds a lot in stocks. It's hard to say how much of those stocks they outsourced. But one thing that it's not hard to say is that if they owned ETFs, the reason that you own ETFs a lot of times is to avoid additional fees to um, by outsourcing. Essentially, um, they would Spencer, have. Been, have you defined what ETFs are yet? Yeah, sorry. So an ETF is an exchange traded fund. Um, it provides a way to essentially uh, buy into, uh, you know, a diversified fund, um, but with a lower expense ratio than a mutual fund or a third party manager would would provide. Because if you outsource to a mutual fund, say BlackRock, BlackRock is going to charge you something. And you're also going to have any exchange related fees as well exchange uh exchange traded funds sort of take out the middleman um in that respect and so so would those ETF, be etfs if dmba has etfs stocks 
those would be stocks over which they have discretion and which would go toward the $100 million threshold? Correct. And so, so as long as DMBA holds more than $100 million in ETFs, we can safely presume that they were under the requirement to report 13F filings. Okay. And so in the next slide, in, in slide seven, is that where we are now? We look at, uh, Widows might looked at between 2009 and 2021, they looked at just ETF holdings. And even if you just disregard all of the stocks that, that uh, DMBA held, just on ETFs, DMBA would have been should have been filing 13F since at least 2009. Okay, so um, based upon being very conservative, just looking at the ETF holdings, which all go toward the hundred million dollar threshold, in virtually every year, and this is not everything that could be there, and it's almost certainly not everything that would be there that goes toward that requirement. But we're sure of this number, and that all of this, the ETF amount, would go toward that threshold. In every year, in 2009, they were required, which means they were over 100 million. That's the dotted line going horizontally through there. And just mm -hmm. based on ETFs, there were a couple of years in 2012 and 2013. That's what it looks like when they were below that amount in ETFs. But in every other year and every other quarter of that year, by the way, with the exception of those two years, between 2009 and 2021, that analysis demonstrates that DMBA was under the legal requirement of filing quarterly 13 Fs with the SEC, correct? That's right. Yep. And and this is the most conservative test right. that we can run. So it's likely that even in 2012 and 2013 that they went over the 100 million threshold, I would say it's just that with the publicly available data that we have, this is the most conservative test that we can run. This is where we can say that yes, um DMBA should have been filing its 13Fs. And to be absolutely clear, let me also add that there might have been a quarter in 2015, the ETFs might have dipped below that line and perhaps another quarter in 2018. Correct, yeah. But everything else is above that line. That's right. All right. And in this entire period up until 2020, uh, DMBA did not file a 13F, right? And so... the. And wait a second, wait a second. I'm so sorry, Spencer. I know you're the expert here, but I'm getting excited. We know that they filed their first 13F, February 14th, 2020, correct? Correct. So according to this, that was for the last quarter of 2019. Mm -hmm. Would that have, that would have been required and it would have been just above the $100 million mark, correct? That's right. So that- so so the first filing they did on Valentine's Day of 2020, which showed U.S. stock market holdings just above the $100 million mark. In other words, giving the impression, maybe it was real. We're not saying whether it's real or not, but it's certainly giving the impression that they had just come to the point where their holdings in the U.S. stock market had gone above the $100 million, triggering their requirement to file the 13F. They were never in violation of the law. Once they got to the threshold, they started filing their 13Fs. But what we can see is that just looking at the ETFs alone with nothing else, they would have been at that point. That's so right. That would have been true. The 13F filing showing that in February 14th, 2020, for the last quarter of 2019, as you have explained, if that was just above the $100 million amount, then there were absolutely no other U.S. held stocks over which it had discretionary 
authority to invest in the DMBA. That's right. So, so if, so in other words, it wasn't a coincidence that they filed their first 13F on the same day that Ensign Peak filed their 13F. Um, it, it before much be longer before that for at least a decade before that they should have been filing 13f filings spencer can I ask you this question we know what the etf amounts are do you have any ability to at least approximate the percentage of the entire holdings that dmba had in the u.s stock market over which it had authority and discretion to invest the percentage that the etfs represent in that entire amount um I don't think so. I don't know of a way to estimate that prior to 2020 because in the form 5500, you actually don't have to say, you don't have to delineate which stocks are directly held, which stocks are not directly held. It's when you start to see the 13F filing where only the directly held stocks get reported and the not directly still stocks do not get reported. So at that point you can parse it out, but prior to the 13Fs being filed, it's all lumped together. So I can't think of a way prior to 2020 to disentangle that. Does that make sense? Yeah, based upon your experience and training in this field, what is your analysis? What's your conclusion about whether for the last quarter of 2019, the DMBA had actually just crossed the threshold of $100 million? Do you think that's oh, true or not? No, it's not true. They broke the law before that because they should have been filing their 13Fs for okay. at least a decade before that. Yeah. Okay. Bill, do you have anything you want to say? No, I understand the basic gist. My my fear is that because I'm experiencing it, I don't when I see all these colors, I don't know what each of these colors stands for. And so I understand that everything added up together in 2010, 2011 almost assuredly went above that threshold and then they would have gone above it again in 2014 and essentially other than a moment here or there remained above it continuously. But just for clarification, can you help the audience better understand what each of these colors signifies? Yeah. So these are just, uh, these are just uh, abbreviations for names of different ETFs. And so and the ETFs I are owned by the church and the church they, they would all add up together by the government standard in terms of what they would base their 13F forms on. Uh-huh. The ETF is just a basket of stocks, basically. So IWD is one of them, and that just is the Russell 1000 value ETF. Um, so that's just a, that's a, an ETF that you can invest in, right? So um, And it, it, it has a certain basket of certain stocks that you can invest in. Uh, GSLC is the Goldman Active Beta U.S. Large Cap ETF. So it contains a certain type of stocks, and they decided to invest in that. So that, one of the, that's I'm sorry, this, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, that's what that's referring to. So one of the things that's going on here that I just want to make sure everybody is aware of is that the whistleblower blows the whistle on EP in 2019, kicking off the investigation, which concludes at the beginning of 2023. There's nothing in the order and no indication that the SEC investigated or included in its investigation the violations which are evident from what you've shown us tonight, Spencer, and what the Widow's Might has reported that were going on at DMBA. That's right. Just to clarify, 
when the SEC was investigating Enzyme Peak, there's no mention whatsoever of DMBA being investigated. There's no, there's no mention whatsoever of DMBA uh, failing to comply and then deciding to comply. Um, there's right. no, so, no, yeah. So the church, which owns both of them and operates both of them, is being investigated by the SEC over here with the EP and finding all these violations for not filing their 13Fs appropriately, where apparently at the same time, they're doing the same thing and the same violations over at DMBA, and the church is not telling the feds about it in their investigation. Possibly. It's possible that if the SEC behind closed doors um, talked to DMBA people, um, and DMBA self-reported, DMBA is under, well, so first of all, the church is under legal obligation once it starts to become um, under investigation by the SEC. They're under an, a legal obligation to, to come forward with any other violations that they are engaging in, right? So under law, during this SEC investigation, the church should have come forward and said, by the way, we have another entity that hasn't been doing this we're going to start doing this. So it is possible that DMBA self-reported, the violations were found to be mistakes, and that the SEC resolved them without charges. And they if never it, mentioned them in their, how many page order? Was it an eight page, thoroughly documented, extraordinarily long and detailed order that they issued it, on the EP? It is a little bit odd to me that they wouldn't mention it, um, but, but if, if, but the, the, the SEC is allowed to not mention it, I suppose. So it, it, it wouldn't be, it, it's within the realm of possibility that during that initial investigation with Enzyme Peak, that DMBA was also mentioned and that the SEC said to DMBA, all right, well, this is relative to Enzyme Peak, it's small potatoes. We're just going to go ahead and let you start filing. We're not going to mention DMBA. I understand you say it's possible, but from my take, that's in a purely theoretical sense. Correct. Because I yeah, have read the EP order by the SEC, and I cannot imagine that if EP, which was documented, was going through all these shenanigans in order to hide how much EP had, which was by not filing any 13F filings in its own name, and DMBA is doing the same thing over here, that mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been brought up in the order at a minimum. Yeah. If that's correct. Oh, do you, oh, go ahead, Spencer. I'll let yeah. you respond to that. And then I'll ask yeah, you, you know up. that I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so, yeah, you do. Um, and, and that's commendable. I um, try to, too, but sometimes reality intrudes. Yeah. At the same time, while it, it is odd that like the SEC doesn't mention it, it's it would also be odd, from my perspective, for the church to not come clean all at once if they know that, you know, this is going to get them in trouble down the road. Right. And so, um, I mean, think about, think about how our reaction as a public would have been if DMBA was also mentioned in the, in, in the report, in the SEC report. It wouldn't have made but, any more difference. I don't think to the public. It would not have made a difference. Right. And so right. I would think that the church would want to come clean right away it, all at once. Mm -hmm. However, we just keep, I feel like our experience with the church is just one in which they only tell the level of truth that they have to. And 
they have to, and then they just keep getting into trouble, right? And so they keep tripping over themselves. And so that's also not, that's also within the realm of possibility that the church decided to hide it from the SEC during. And I think it's going to become more likely when we get to this recent document at the end of the show that was uncovered by, actually, maybe this would be the time to go to it. Can I ask you yeah, a quick I question mean, about this graph first? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. Please. So the when when does the church first learn that it gets caught in terms of Enzyme Peak? That was 2019, I think. 2019. Because what I, again, I, I just want what it looks like to me, but I don't think is the case. It looks like there's all these other funds that are managing the church's money. And then at some point there in 2018, as that as all those funds are growing, it seems like the church made some sort of decision to consolidate that all the way down to Goldman Sachs LC, right? Because there's a huge drop in the ETF amount on the graph, right? And all of a sudden it just becomes the one color. Right. And I and that seems like it happens significantly before they got caught. So it would not be appropriate for me to make any sort of connection to the fact that the church learns the information, consolidates and then tries to make it look like it had just crossed the 100 million threshold when in reality it was really a game they were playing starting in 2018 but that doesn't fit our timeline and so that isn't that isn't a fair connection to make correct yeah i don't think that that would be fair yeah okay thank okay. you so yeah. what is this document that we have that widows might actually uncovered was it today or yesterday because what what widows might has been doing and it's what we try and do is try and be fair and give the benefit of the doubt if we possibly can. And the question has been with the DMBA, are they, is the church in DMBA, once again, intentionally violating the 13F filing requirements? Or is this like under some kind of different management than yeah, the Enzyme Peak was, right? Before before we do that, can we go to page eight and just talk a little bit about the stocks? Yeah, well, we will be guided by you, Spencer. Well, because I just think that there's a really odd pattern that emerges when you look at what DMBA did when it eventually did report its 13F filing. So initially, it reported only 13F holdings as though it didn't hold any direct, it didn't directly hold any U.S. stock. So it only reported three ETFs in that first quarter. Okay. And it, and it only barely crossed that threshold at 120 million of ETFs. That's what their thir first 13F said. And that's the bottom left, bottom left where the arrow is like you are here, and that's the first thirteen F filing. Um, it's the f no, it's on the, it's not the arrow, it's the very far left. Um, okay, so it's the very right. first, the very first uh, vertical uh -huh. bar so, there. Okay, so you know it, it, and then suddenly six quarters later, so they filed six. 13F filings and all that they've been reporting is is uh is ETFs and those ETFs are slowly increasing the amount of ETFs that they have but then suddenly 6 quarters later it reported this purchase of about 200 million worth of directly held stocks and you see this substantial jump in reported securities in the graphic here on the right where basically the total securities jumped one quarter to the next from about 200 million to 400 million total and it's 13F before only had about five investments, all ETFs, um, reported before quarter two, 2021. And then all of a sudden it reported more than 500 because it invested in all of these individual stocks. And so you see this huge jump in reporting 
So in my mind, there is one of two things going on with this. Either DMBA never held any U.S. stocks directly, and it was outsourcing everything, until suddenly this one quarter, it decided to jump into active investment in U.S. stocks, and it bought 200 million of securities. Or there were stocks in the past that they were that were directly held and subject to 13F filing requirements, maybe even before 2021 when it was first reported, and it just didn't report those. And you can see kind of maybe why they decided to, you can see both sides of the story, right? So it's possible that they, they, they had directly held U.S. stocks and they decided not to report them because that way it looks like they just barely crossed the threshold. Yes, we've been doing our burden. due diligence. We've been investing stuff. It's been slowly increasing and we just finally got over the $100 million mark. So now we're filing our first 13F. But then just a few quarters later, it skyrockets just mm -hmm. incredibly, which lends itself to the interpretation that really what we're seeing here which we know is just what's reported on the 13 Fs, that that is not an accurate reporting of their actual holdings. And their actual holdings were much more significant, much more vast, and they just weren't reporting them on the 13 Fs in order to give the false impression that they had just gone over the $100 million mark. Right, right. And if, then their once first, if their first 13 F filing had $600 million in assets, that would have raised a huge red flag, right? And so they had to kind of... Yeah, you can't have your that. first 13 FB. You know, we've been in existence since uh, 1970, and all of a sudden in 2020, we're going to make our first report at what was it, $600 million? No. Six times the threshold amount? Nobody's yeah. going to buy that. No, it's got to no, be 106 million. Yeah, it's got to be 106 million. You have, to, you have to sneak in the back door first and notify everybody, like, hey, we belong here. We just got here. But the weird thing, too, is it seems like another thing happens, which is, you got to somehow sooner or later, you got to enter all of this money into the system. You have to account for all of it because you've got caught. You're trying to fix it. You're trying to make it right. It looks as though, like you say, six reports in it skyrockets and then they take two more quarters to show all of it. And then a little bit over time is kind of like, okay, now we got to move this out of here and get it somewhere else is what it sort of looks like uh, as well. Now I know right. also the stock market has, had some downturns in the last couple of years. And so some of this could also be explained as financial loss, but I don't think 600 million down to 220 million makes a lot of sense to me either. Right. It, it's also really suspicious to see this huge bump six quarters later, which it, it raises a red flag in and of itself. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation within this. I mean, we're just kind of looking at the image and we're saying this looks suspicious, but this would be something for the SEC to investigate. And Widow's Might is not taking a position on whether their 13 Fs starting in 2020 were accurate or not. It just looks suspicious. And it's something that with publicly available data, we can't say for sure. It just, it looks like something the SEC should investigate. And by the way, I will just say for the record that it is something that the SEC will be investigating because a complaint has been made along these lines and raising this issue to the SEC for them to investigate because they can peel back these graphs, so to speak, and find out what's really going on behind the 13Fs reporting, the 13F filings, and finding out if that really is accurate what they're saying and what this graph represents, or whether it's as it looks like it probably is, it's using 13Fs to misreport. Right.
you would also agree, Spencer, even with the downturn in the stock market during COVID and after, and much of that returned, that going from 600 million at its peak down to about 225 million also seems out of place. I, d I don't know what I think. I don't know how to interpret that by itself because it could also be something about their investment strategy, right? And right. so as the stock market, they could start retrenching, they could start reallocating a lot of their investment into bonds. What we're seeing here is only two parts of their overall portfolio. Mm -hmm. So it isn't necessarily just the value of the stocks that are going down, but also they could be liquidating their position in a lot of these areas and then putting it into real estate or putting it into you know, partnerships or putting it into bonds, something that's a little potentially bonds because it's potentially a little more safe, right? And so um, I guess I wouldn't say that not that anything I, I don't wrong know. is I don't happening, know. but that it would be worth. It's going to be worth some questions to see what was going on there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if I'm in the, if I'm an investigator for the SEC, I would definitely kind of look at this uh, overall pattern and kind of question whether, just whether this these 13 F filings are reported uh, to accurately describe the economics that they are purportedly reporting, right? So. That's what that's for the SEC to do. Yeah. Is that purportedly reporting? Purportedly reporting. Purportedly, purportedly uh, investing in. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I don't want to put you on the spot, Spencer. He said right before he was going to put Spencer on the spot. <laughs> but is it true, without identifying any individual, that you know people who used to work for the SEC? Yeah, I do. So a couple of colleagues of mine actually have used to work for the SEC. Yeah. And if, as it appears that it certainly well may be, and only an SEC investigation will find out if it definitely is so, if the church were being investigated for 13F violations in regard to Enzyme Peak, and during the three-year-plus investigation, the church never told them that they were doing the same thing over here at DMBA, and yet the church goes ahead and files its first 13F for DMBA on the very same date as the first 13F being filed for Enzyme Peak. If indeed that is the case, as I've got to tell you, it kind of looks like to me. Do you have any idea what your contacts tell you the SEC's response to that would likely be? Oh, yeah. So if so, just to, to reiterate kind of I think what you're saying is that the SEC is investigating the church and behind the scenes, the church is, is trying to hide from the SEC, this DMBA business. The SEC would be absolutely livid if they found out that the church was doing this behind the scenes. What's the quote um, that you heard from one of your friends that the SEC would lose their shit if they found <laughs> out that this was going on? Yeah. So like, I think that like the, the SEC cares about compliance but they actually, the SEC and the IRS have programs for you to self turn yourself in and not face huge penalties because, you know, complying with the law can be uh, cumbersome. And, and sometimes, you know, people, you know, they, if you wanted to comply, but you just did it wrong, that's one thing, right? Once you get into these areas where you are deliberately hiding from the law, and you think that you are above the law and 
there becomes rep- a pattern of repeated behavior. We call at it recidivism point, in the business. Yeah. So at that point, I think that the SEC would not only just lay heavy fines on the church, much heavier than $5 million would be my guess, but also that, you know, it, at some point you have to start looking at the employees that are responsible for this type of behavior and potentially face criminal uh, criminal action as well. If a, if a $5 million sanction isn't going to do it, you're going to have to up the ante to try and get somebody's attention. Right. Yep. Can we go yeah, to the document? The, the SEC, of, I'm sorry. The SEC does not want to seem as though they are below anyone, uh, for example. And so um, – they have the tools to teach people lessons, right? And so I think that they would use that tool very heavily. Bailiff, bailiff, whack this man's pee pee. <laughs> I don't, they don't have that tool. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about Roger Clark, shall we, in the recently discovered document in this context. Is that okay, Spencer? Because I think this is a good time for it. Because what yeah. we're trying to figure out is this accidental or was it on purpose? Yeah, we don't. Right. So like it's because DMBA does not work with Enzyme Peak directly. Right. It's not like Enzyme Peak is Enzyme Peak was not um, uh, making the investment decisions for and on behalf of DMBA. They were working independently as far as we're aware. So there was a legitimate Um, question as to whether the left hand just didn't know what the right hand was doing. Exactly. Until widows might found something important. Yeah. So if you go to, this is a, it's, it's odd how we found this, but um, if you go to this um, state audit, state of Utah audit for a company called Deseret Mutual Insurance Company, which is a for-profit company that the, com- that the church owns. Um, and you go down to page three. This was back in 2017, by the way, this audit was conducted. So the date is May 1st, 2019 on the letter here? Hmm. But the audit was for December 31st, 2017. Yeah, which is right there. So I think it was just maybe the auditors just took a long time. (laughs) If you go to page three, if you go, I guess page three is uh, the document page three, not the PDF page three. Okay. Sorry. It lists the board of directors for this smaller for-profit company. Now, this for-profit company seemingly has nothing to do with DMBA, seemingly has nothing to do with uh, with uh, with Enzyme Peak or anything like that. But within in the board of directors, you can see that one of the board of directors is Roger G. Clark, investment advisor for Enzyme Peak Advisors. Okay, Uh Fine, whatever. So he's he's on the board of directors for one of the for-profit companies, insurance companies for the church. If you go down one more page under committees, it states that there are no committees at the company level, meaning this uh, Deseret Mutual Insurance Company's level. All committees are maintained by an unaffiliated management company, DMBA. The company meaning Deseret Mutual Insurance Company and DMBA share the same board of directors and senior management team. And that's where Scooby-Doo says, rut-row, raggy. <laughs> because it Can means I, that – go ahead, Bill. So when I see the sentence, there are no committees at the company level. All committees are maintained by an unaffiliated, unaffiliated management mm-hmm. company, mm-hmm. Deseret Mutual Benefit Administrators. But the company 
and DMBA the, the, that are unaffiliated share the same board of directors and senior management team. It means Roger Clark was a member of the board of directors for DMBA. Yeah. And, and probably on the senior management team. Yeah. So in other words, the same guy who knew who wrote the book on this, who was in charge of Enzyme Peak, and who knew perfectly well you filed 13 Fs, and he breached his professional integrity in order to follow the profit, was also on the board of directors for DMBA. So now that we know that, and now that Widows Might made that bombshell discovery, the odds of DMBA doing this 13F not filing when they knew they were, when they were supposed to, being an accident, the odds of that go way, way down. And now it looks very, very intentional because we know that Roger Clark was on the board of directors for DMBA and he sure as hell knew that he had to file the 13 Fs quarterly, just like he did for his privately held company, which did it every quarter for 20 years and filed them out correctly. Or filled and just like correctly. he was supposed to do as the president of Ensign Peak. Yes, Wild. they don't get off on the I didn't know defense. That's While right. the SEC is investigating Enzyme Peak, Roger Clark is also at the same time serving on DMBA's board of directors and and just operating business as usual with a little secret, maybe. Meanwhile, the SEC is investigating Enzyme Peak and carrying out that entire process. And Roger Clark is also on this other board of directors seeming to do the same funny business here, but everything is hush hush. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it seems like. I, I don't know how long. So we, to be clear, this is 2017. So it's possible that Roger Clark was no longer on the board. But uh, even if that's true, they had to file it since 2009. People, I'm sorry. Right. But even if that's true, of all people, he would he would want to pick up the phone and go, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, guys, over at DMBA, we're having a lot of flack over here at Enzyme Peak. You're probably going to want to consider just reaching out to the church and wanting to kind of come forward on this if this is what we're doing. Because back when I was there, you know, he knows whether it was happening or not. Right. So that's absolutely true. Time to follow your sword, guys. Time to follow yeah. on your sword because it's going to hurt a lot less now than if we keep doing this in secret and it gets found out later. Because some smart guy at Widow's Might figures it out, puts two and two together, comes up with four, and files a new complaint against with the SEC against DMBA for the same violations that EP did. Do you so want, gets, you want to take a $1,000 bet that Roger Clark's had the second anointing? He's going to need a third anointing after this because I think his name is Dirt. <laughs> so Spencer it gets Anderson, a little bit let me work. ask you this question. What, has, this, has this impacted your opinion of the reputation of Roger Clark? You know, I didn't really have a, a, a huge opinion in terms of like his character or anything beforehand. So let's say it was it just totally a wash. Has it impacted your opinion, even if you didn't have one before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it gets worse, though. Okay. It so gets worse. I, it gets worse, unfortunately. What happens next? But wait, there's more. <laughs> if you go to, um, there are more. So if you go scroll down just a tiny bit, the holding company that we're talking about, where the board of directors is all shared, you can go up to the, just the graphic. Within this board of directors, under this board of directors, under this holding company of DMBA, 
is Deseret Management Corporation, which has Deseret Mutual Insurance Company, which is what this uh, this uh, this uh, this audit is all about. Audit this audit that, report. Yeah. The other company that's under this is Beneficial Life, which the church and bailed out, which President Monson was a spokesman for, with funds it's, from EP. I th I think that it would be worth investigating by the SEC as well whether pre two thousand nine Beneficial Life also should have been filing thirteen F filings. Um, but a bing, but a bang, Betty Boop. Because yeah, because as of at least twenty, I think twenty thirteen, Beneficial Life had three billion in assets. It certainly had enough assets to potentially be over that one hundred million threshold as well. So we've if got anybody another... associated or working for the SEC is watching this program. I think you might want to take a little look into Beneficial Life as well. Excellent the SEC point, Spencer. The, and the when SEC knows guys... that too. I was, gonna say, I was asking that just to say that again. When you guys filed your, when Widows might filed uh, reports on this to notify the SEC that it appears there may be some more funny business going on, you guys informed them, Widows might inform them that beneficial life should also be looked at. Yeah, there has been, let me just say, there has been anonymous uh, reporting to the SEC on beneficial life as well as uh as well as dmba good yeah it's like the book of revelation i think it is says that in the last days the hidden things of darkness will be brought to light if if they were doing something inappropriate there would is there any question in your mind that this will be way worse than the original enzyme peak sec Conclusion. In other words, if they if they did something wrong here, can I be pretty confident that within a year, two, three, I'm going to hear about it and it's not going to be good if they did wrong? I mean, I, I, I guess it depends on your confidence in in a government entity yeah. that is in some sense highly politicized. So the head of the SEC is appointed by the president. There are hiccups that could happen along the way um that that could lead the sec down a different path based on okay. their priorities or something like that understood spencer but everything else so what being I think equal. should happen is is absolutely yeah absolutely we should be hearing about this well this is like the guy who's charged with dui right and he shows up in front of a judge and he's got his pretrial hearings and they're always getting continued but then he ends up uh, one of his conditions of release is that he not drink any alcohol and then the mm -hmm. judge finds out he was drinking alcohol and the judge says, okay, you can't drink alcohol anymore. And he says, okay, I won't. I'm sorry. And then the next hearing, he's been drinking alcohol again. And the and judge not says, only that RFM, he was drinking alcohol when he told you he was sober and he actually ran people over. And you're just now finding out that he was doing a bunch of other stuff at the time he was in your courtroom, only dealing with one issue. I'm glad you said that because I was going to take some more time to gradually increment this. Oh, I'm so but, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> but basically, the judge only has so many options. And if a guy's not going to listen to him telling him, then he's going to start saying, okay, community service. You didn't hear me there? Okay, well, then here's some jail time or electronic home monitoring, right? You didn't hear me there? You're still drinking? Okay, then there's some jail time. You didn't hear me again? There's more jail time. Right. These things only go in one direction, and it's up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would expect that a judge looking at an entity like the church who has been caught 
red-handed, violating the 13F filings in order to hide how much money they have. And they do this whole investigation, and there's this complete ruling and order that's been entered and came out in February of 2023. And now if a judge goes, wait a second, you were doing the same thing over here in this other entity while this was going on, and you don't have any excuse to say, oh, this it was an accident, judge. And the judge says, yeah, what about Roger Clark? Right? No. Yeah. The penalties are going to increase. They have to. Otherwise, the court loses all credibility. That's right. Yeah, and the SEC has uh, has a history of trying to – I don't – I wouldn't want to say shame, but – they use the public, uh, they use tools in order to try and uh, enforce compliance, not only for the company that is being caught, but also to ensure prevention of future crimes by other companies, right? And right. so if the FCC wants to set effect. a precedent, yes, a deterrent effect for other companies that, especially for 13F filings, which sometimes get, you know, cast aside as, you know, maybe not as, uh, not as important in the SEC's eye as, as maybe some of the other filings. And so I think the SEC would take this as, a, as an opportunity to uh, make sure that other companies up their game in, in compliance as well. I get the feeling that this could all have been avoided with a working seer stone. <laughs> yeah, or some morals. That would be nice. Yeah. Just a living profit would solve the problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. If the profit could see around corners... Maybe this wouldn't have happened. Sherry, if, he, if they were really talking out all the permutations, right? Yeah, Sherry, do you know? No, you don't. No, you don't. By the way, that was an oblique reference to Sherry Do's talk. Profits see around corners, and okay, just for Not this one. <laughs> no, no, this was this was no. So, what's the next uh, slide? I think we're winding down. By the way, just to just one more little thing I want to throw up on the screen. This is the mm -hmm. church's official statement from when that SEC thing happened. Oh, yeah. The matter's remember their, closed. Remember their last line. Yeah, RFM. With this no. announcement of this order, the matter question. is closed. Here's the question for you, Bill. Question to the church. Asked by the church, and the church will respond. Will this settlement impact Enzyme Peak's ability to continue to make investments? And what's the answer, Bill? No. With the announcement of this order, the matter is closed. I think that might have been premature and it optimistic. May have been. <laughs> Just one more corner they didn't see around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Spencer, yeah. bring us home. Well, so we could go to page 10, I think. Page 9 is kind of a reiter reiteration. I think we kind of jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit. These are just the U.S. stocks. These are the direct U.S. stocks of, uh, of uh, DMBA that they held. And so the question is, you know, they could have gone way, way above the the 100 million threshold if you look at the U.S. stocks that they held. And just to be clear, these are direct and indirectly held U.S. stocks potentially um, in the Form 5500 from 2009 to 2021. So yeah. it's possible that a lot of these were, and we talked about this before, way above the 100 million dollar threshold. Spencer, I'm not a betting man, but I will bet you $100 million right now that it was way above the $100 million threshold in 2009. I'll take that bet. I will. Done. I think you, I think you mean I will not take that bet. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm with you, RFM. I'm waiting for Spencer okay. to make us some easy money. <laughs> oh, so yeah, Spencer's no, going to have to pay out double if he loses. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
have a hundred right. million dollars. I wish I had a hundred million dollars. That'd be great. I don't either, um, but I feel confident. Yeah. Um, let's see. So they've done some additional analyses just to show that like this was not the same as Enzyme Peaks funds. There were some additional funds that add on to the 13F obligations beyond what we've seen in the Form 5500 as well that are ETF funds. Um, and I think that this is a secondary point, but it's just kind of showing that like there's more evidence that shows that the holdings that DMB had likely were much more than the bare minimum um, conservative uh, conservative data that that widows might uh, engaged in, right? So, um, or analyzed. So, for example, GSLC is a ticker for um, this Goldman Sachs fund. Under the Form 5500, there were 1.5 million shares of that owned um, in, in pension and in healthcare, 101,000. In the Form 13F, um, there was an additional 158,000 shares from somewhere that didn't show up in Form 5500, but that showed up in Form 13F. And there's about a 10% increment um, in a lot of these, which would show that, suggest that there was actually more in ETFs that, that, that uh, DMBA owned above and beyond what we saw in the Form 5500 that they should have used towards their $100 million uh, threshold to decide whether they needed to file a 13F or not. I appreciate the depth of analysis and research that Widow's Might has done into this area, coupled with their conservative estimates and conclusions. Yeah, and I don't know if I, what I said made sense, but you can go back to page 10 of that <laughs> in the future. I feel like there is at I least, by the way, that. so everybody knows there's at least one more surprise coming when it comes to the things that were being invested in and the stocks owned. By oh, DMBA. right. Yeah. So don't hang up now. So just as a summary for the, the big piece of it, it, we could go to the next page, I think. This is, for those of you who kind of joined late, here's kind of the summary. DMBA filed its 13F on the same day that Enzyme Peak filed its first legitimate 13F. And that timing is suspicious. It indicates a coordinated effort regarding DMBA's 13F compliance and prior violations. Now, DMBA, this separate entity, were these 13F violations prior to 2020 intentional or were they mistakes? And this slide was made before we found out about Roger Clark, but the question is, when did DMBA leadership first know about it, its obligation to file 13Fs? When did they first find out that they were in violation of these, this 13F filing requirement? Did church leaders know? Was DMBA discouraged by church leaders from filing 13Fs prior to 2020? Why were they not made why were they not filing their 13Fs if they were already filing their forms 5500? That one is really confusing to me, right? It's like lax, uh, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna break the law, do it all the way, right? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. But during its investigation of Enzyme Peak, did the SEC, and other questions that we have, you know, during its investigation of, Enzy of Enzyme Peak, did the SEC ask about other entities? Even if they didn't ask, the church would have been legally obligated to self-report um, DMBA 
but there's no public record of DMBA being mentioned by the SEC or by the church in any of its statements about its investigation, the SEC's investigation. My favorite is this snarky comment at the bottom. Perhaps the church would snarky? like to address this. I don't think it was trying to be snarky. <laughs> but I feel I read it as very snarky. Perhaps the church would like to address this uh, fact that it uh, broke the law with DMBA. Uh, it's a very nice encouragement uh, to for the church to uh, come forward. So, did you want to? I think that was that was it for the main analysis. But you said RFM, you wanted to go into kind of some of this the additional stock stuff. breakdown, just the stock okay. breakdown. Yeah, page thirteen. And the reason I bring this up is because me and Coca Cola stocks and the church go way back. When I joined the church in 1978, I hadn't been a member long, and I've got to tell you, I don't know where I heard this, but I heard a rumor that the LDS church owned stock in Coca-Cola. And this was obviously uh, problematic, at least to me, because here's the church out there teaching the word of wisdom. And at the time, they were saying no Coca-Cola, no caffeinated beverages, and drinking those was a violation of the word of wisdom. They've since changed their tune on that particular issue, as we all know, but that's a different subject. But at the time, they sure as heck were. And I thought, that's kind of wrong. But I had no idea. I mean, I don't know how to look anything up. And I remember being at the MTC November, which is when I went in there in 1979. I was there for two months because I was a foreign language speaking mission, had to learn Japanese. And we have periodic meetings with the guy who's called the branch president, who's basically an older gentleman who's not there, you know, in the classroom with us. He's not one of the other missionaries, but he was probably maybe in his sixties. And he was just the guy who was the priesthood leader over this small group of missionaries. And I had a meeting with him. I will tell you this though, first, just so you know, I met with him and he said, elder radio free Mormon. This is around Christmas time, you know, and white Christmas is always shown. He says, he says, elder radio free Mormon. You know, every time I look at you, I can't help but think of being Cros being Crosby and the wonderful road pictures, and Bing Crosby's constant companion, Bob Hope. Yeah, thanks, President. So anyway, but at one point, I said, he says, do you have any questions? Just opening it up, do you have any questions? Because we don't have anything else to talk about except how your nose looks like Bob Hope's nose. And I said, yeah, I heard this rumor that the church owns stock in Coca-Cola. Is that true? And he looked at me, he says, well, I've, I've never heard that before, but... I doubt it. And that was pretty much it. And now we find out something interesting about DMBA and the stocks it owns. Yeah. Ahead, and what's please. interesting about, yeah, what's interesting about this, they own Netflix, GJM Smucker, which is coffee is 33% of its sales. So uh, Monster Beverage, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola. Um, the bottom two like lines, the very bottom line, Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's right. They invested in Coke. And what's interesting about this is we know that Enzyme Peak, before when it was operating under the guise of shell companies, it was investing in Coca-Cola. It was investing in some of these companies. But once once it's at some point, they they got out of investing in all of these stocks. Was it um, around that 2019 when the whistle got blown? It was, I think it was in, it was when that first, oh geez, I'm forgetting. It was when the first connection was made that somebody in the public may have 
found out about the shell companies. Right. 20, right. 2015 or something like that. So our cover's about to be blown. Let's get rid of the Coca-Cola stocks. <laughs> but meanwhile, DMBA, DMBA continues to invest in Netflix and JM Smucker and Coca-Cola. Because nobody and knows about those. The cover hasn't been blown there. Right. Yet. And so it does seem like DMBA, to their credit, is avoiding tobacco stocks and is avoiding, you know, alcohol. Uh, adult entertainment companies and uh, alcohol, but, but, um, but it does seem odd. It seems inconsistent. Like the church doesn't have a very consistent policy for investment across all of its affiliates. Enzyme right. Peak apparently isn't going to invest in Coca-Cola anymore, but DMBA is totally fine doing so. So, And with Pepsi and Coca-Cola being almost entirely blue, that means that they are owned directly by DMBA, Correct. Correct. It's not but, as though some other company is investing on their behalf and they're, they've made a conscious choice to invest in. in and Netflix in looks like it's the reverse. There may be a slight sliver there of blue that's owned directly by the church, but the vast majority of the stocks in Netflix is owned indirectly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. But they still, I mean, they still made a conscious choice to invest in it. So, Is there any irony in the fact that Netflix produced Under the Banner of Heaven? last summer and the church appears to have been funding or supporting that endeavor. Yeah, I find it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would love for them to continue to support that kind of work. Um, that'd be great. Yes, it's akin to cutting off the branch on which you're sitting. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to say about this, Spencer, before we close for tonight? Nope, I hope that, I hope that this didn't feel like it was uh, uh, you know, misleading uh, bombshell announcement. I think that it it is a pretty this big announcement. This is a bombshell. I heard yeah. the reverberations from here and we'll continue to experience the aftershocks for the rest of the night. And I think the audience probably feels the same way, but we'll get a chance. They'll get a chance to tell us what they think when we open the phone lines. I'm just, I'm curious if, oh, if you could potentially pick out, oh, hopefully it'll show up here. Can you pick out uh, Quentin Cook and Elder Iring in that picture? If this happened to be the case, could you? Well, Elder Iring, was... none of those people appear to be shuffling. They appear to be striding. So nobody's I don't think crying. Elder that's for there. sure. Iring's oh, not and they're not nobody's crying either. Crying. That's a good point. <laughs> so anyway, I just the I guy was on the far right. The, art. What's the guy on the far right looks a little bit like Ezra Taft Benson. Yeah. I just told AI art machine to make 15 really old guys, old white guys in uh, prison jumpsuits, just in to, orange I, jumpsuits, just to see I what think, it would look like. I think they all look like Roger Clark to me. <laughs> it could be, I mean, it, it could go South for him for sure. Um, yeah. All right. Let me try to get the show or the call in part of the show started. Uh, will you read off the number RFM? Will I do that? Um, the number I got to wait for it to come around again. It has something to do with Mormons. And 666. Okay, here we come. It's going to come around again. Okay, there it is. 662-667-6667. That's the number to call in. Please call in now. It's 662-667-6667 or 662-MORMONS with an S. I'm curious if maybe James will call us again. He always, whenever we do these kinds of shows, James, who's been reaching out to me today on email, he's the... Gentleman who, uh, when we were covering the SEC show before, he wanted to poke it at 
my integrity. And, and then he called it another show where we were talking about uh, the church's integrity. And he wanted to claim that he had a bunch of things that I had lied about. And then he talked about my motivation about being burned out. And he reached out again today. And strangely, I haven't heard from him for a long time, but it was his first time he called was the other SEC conversation we had. Hmm. And then today, now we have this thing coming forward and James suddenly out of the blue decides to reach out. It seemed a little strange. Not that I'm saying it means anything, but it does seem whenever we're about to show the church having an integrity issue, he seems to want to call Mormonism live and ask something other than the subject matter. So it rattles Jim's cage for some reason. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Any callers so far? Yeah, we've got the phone lines are full. So let they me, are lit uh, up, baby. Let me pull up one of those, and uh, I'm actually gonna. I just want to make sure I've got the thing off the screen. And then we'll put the call in studio on that monitor so it's not blocking my view. And it looks like our first call is going to be Mark. Mark, are you there? Hello. Yes, All right. Hey, Mark. Yeah, we can hear you. Hey, first of all, I'm, I'm, I was the CFO of a $2 billion a year company. We had wow. $1.4 billion in reserves. Uh, the Widow's Might has just done a fantastic job of explaining the finances of a company like I'm familiar with. I mean, the, the, the church is fundamentally a corporation and they run like a company. I've known people that worked in their finance departments. They have budgets just like, like my company did capital operating, etc. cetera. Widows might've done fantastic. Um, what I wanted to mention was that our company, we always just hired, we just put our money into funds. We never had to file with the SEC. That's not completely uncommon. So, you know, you, you may not know what they've done before this. To bring in people who will pick stocks in your company is an expense and a, and a, a big commitment. So maybe they were just buying through other funds at some point. But uh, what I noticed in their insurance uh, audit was Plan Z. I don't know if you saw that, but that was the liability fund according to the documents, for the general authorities against uh, uh, any lawsuits against them. That was interesting in what you just showed. The Plan Z with a secret name. Ooh. I didn't see that. That's interesting. Make, make a little <laughs> note, Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you're, you're saying Plan Z is a, is a self... Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. I was talking. Self-fund... Yeah, it was... With self-funded uh, liability insurance for the general authorities, if you, you have to go back to the 2012 report that was also on the insurance uh, commission's website, and they explain what it what it was. But in the 2017 audit, they talked about Plan Z and that they had moved it outside of the church. It was interesting. All I see that it's mentioning the Plan Z. Sorry, is that? What slide is that, Spencer? So we can put it, it up on the screen. It's on that document in on page five. So if you go one more page, I think, right? This is what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what they talk about having four lines of business in the report. And the fourth line of business was this plan Z and being familiar with with insurance. I'm like, that's an that's a code name. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. That's just a code name. And I assumed it was something for the general authority. Is so it, I looked at the this insurance one? company the the yeah. On, on the, no, the, on, is it on the, the audit on, report? Yeah, let's get this up here. I want to see this myself. Plan Z what, sounds so. What is the audit report? Where do I find that? Uh, that's the one. That's you it. got it. So go up so to page, page five. five, five of the documents. So page 
probably like seven. page eight, seven. Yeah. Here we go. Ooh. So in this audit, it doesn't explain what Plan Z is. That's obviously a code word. Yeah, it's in quotes. I look. <laughs> so it says as Can of December 30th. Mark, hang on a second. I'm just going to read this for our, our audience. As of December 31st, 2017, there were four primary lines of business, which are called LOB, stands for lines of business. The first line of business comprised, comprised of lump sum and immediate pay annuities. The second line of business is the accident and health plan provided to church employees living in approximately three countries that do not have established insurance markets. The third line of business is a pass-through of a self-funded student health plan at BYU-Idaho. This plan is completely handled and supported by DMBA. And now for the fourth line of business. The final line of business is Plan Z, in quotation marks, which is a self-insured accident and health plan. Plan Z assets and liabilities were transferred out of the company in December of 2018. When was when was the report? When did when did uh, when did the church learn that Enzyme Peak was going to be investigated? Uh, summer 2019. That's 2019, but there had been a previous report where it was being exposed. There was something being exposed mm -hmm. about the shell companies. And what the church did was instead of getting rid of it and scrapping it, they said, we need to do a better job of hiding this. And that's when they started uh, the process of naming the shell companies with these very commonplace names and putting people as the asset managers and I put that in quotation marks, no of people who presence. had no social media presence yeah. so people couldn't connect them with the LDS church. I think that's when that happened, and that happened earlier. And I'm sorry and that I don't know when that happened. And that seems to be the moment where the church decides to take Plan Z and transfer it out of the company. Huh. That might be worth a little look-see. Well, on the uh, insurance commission's website, they had a second audit that was done back in 2012, and it described more of what Plan Z was. It said it was for general authority. Interesting. Liability. So that's why I think they have a code word for it, because it was only applied to general authorities. In this case, it said it was health, health uh, and accident insurance, for, maybe for the general authorities, but... They're so secretive with the general authorities. I, I assume they moved it out of that company because they wanted to hide it into some other, within some other company who didn't know who they were. Can I ask a question were? for you, Mark and Spencer? I understand that, of course, it's always preferable, preferable to be able to self-insure if you're affluent enough to be able to insure yourself and not rely on another company and pay them to insure you, right? I've got that correct so far, right? But why is it that yeah. the general authorities alone would be self-insured and all the other 35,000 employees of the church would be insured in the more normal way of not being self-insured by the church, but going to a mm. regular insurance company. That would be my mm. question. Mm. Does that question itself, does that make sense? The question. Spencer. Yeah. I Mark? would say fundamentally the church is, I would say fundamentally the church doesn't buy insurance from other people. They're buying it from DMBA or they call it self-insurance. In the end, it's the same funds, it's the same thing. They self-insure everything. They don't, when people say a church building gets destroyed and they, you know, they, they have insurance that pays for it, they don't buy insurance for any of their buildings. 
anything. They just they have they have two hundred and fifty billion dollars. They have means. They, they own insurance companies. They own insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, th- I think you're right, Mark. I don't. I, I think that all the employees are self-insured in the sense that the church insures them. Yet, as RFM's pointing think- out, the top echelon of church leaders are parsed out into a separate insurance plan called Plan Z, which at the same time the church begins to realize it's going to risk being investigated seems to transfer that plan out of the company. The, I don't know. The, the general authorities probably get richer benefits than everybody. Other oh, you know they other do. Employees. For Mark, sure. You know they do. You know that these guys can go to the doctor and get anything they want done, anything they want taken care of. And there's no copay. There's, there's not a, uh, they don't have to turn over, you know, what they're going to pay out of pocket and pay a forty dollars deductible or meet their meet their uh, HSA of fifteen hundred bucks a year. Like, no, these guys get to go to the doctor and get whatever done that they need to get done. Yep. Hey, thanks everybody. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks, I just Mark. I just want to know if the full name of Plan Z is Plan Z from Outer Space. Yeah. What does the Z stand for? You know, Plan Zarahemla. I'll just let that pass. I'd like to know what plans A through Y were. Plan this is the B. final plan. All been bad this is the last plan. Last we've gone past <laughs> we've gone past plans A, B, and everything in between. This is plan Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's oh, the final solution. That's what it is. Plan All Z. Right. That was a great call from Mark. Thanks for pointing that out. Who else is on the line now? Let's take a look. I just gotta figure out how I maybe it's Jim. Pull that up. Where are you hiding? Give me just a second. I'm just trying to figure out where my call studio went. And here we go. I'm going to get rid of that call. The next one we've got, I believe, is Nate. Nate, are you there on Mormonism Live? I am here. How are you guys doing? Great, Nate. Would love to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I just wanted, I want a little bit more clarification on the relevance of of not filling out this 13F form uh, for Enzyme Peak and for the NBA and other entities and stuff for like the random person. Cause I, I, you know, for us, we, we get excited about understanding how the church operates and stuff, but for a random member, how is this relevant to them? Um, why does, what does the church gain by, by not filling out this 13F? Yeah. You want me to go RFM? So the, I, I think unmute the, myself to say yes. Okay. Well, the SEC kind of determined with its own investigation what the imp, what the impetus was behind this scheme that the church was engaging in. So in the 13F, you have to disclose a lot of your assets that you have, a lot of your investment assets. And in, Ensign Peak wanted to hide that because it got to be so much that I think it was something like at least $30 billion in assets that it was hiding um, that it didn't want the members to know that the church was that wealthy because then members wouldn't want to pay tithing. That is the whole reason that the church wanted to avoid filing the 13F. And ironically, that's the whole purpose of the 13F is that you're not allowed to hide what your investments are in. 
And so the reason why the 13F exists is so that the market can still have trust in these large when these in this environment where there's these large institutional investors that could sway prices, that could uh, manipulate or or influence companies and their decisions that they make because they own so many shares in the company that they are basically you know you know they have significant influence over the company. The reason why the 13F exists is so that if you're a big investor, you have to show how much you own in all of these companies. And that's exactly the thing that the church didn't want to show. Does that help? Sorry, I don't know if that was clarified. Nate, if you do go back and look at the previous episodes, it'll give you a lot of background that I think will help answer your questions. But go ahead, please ask your follow-up. No, I, I I love your guys' show. I, I follow it religiously, um, but I just don't understand how. Like for me, if I was a, a member and I I paid her, um, I really wouldn't care how much the church. It wouldn't affect my decision, and it seems to me that it the church assumes it would affect a lot, a, a significant a portion of their their tithing payers in order for them to hide this, and to me that just seems silly. And I don't know, maybe the church is just being silly. Nate, Nate, I'll tell you, I think there is some indication that the disclosure of how much the church has in the bank, which was made against its will, and because of the whistleblower and the SEC investigation, that that disclosure, as well as the early one from 36, I think it was 36 billion in the US stock market, which is from a few years ago. I think that that does have and has had an effect in reducing the amount of tithing that people are paying. There are members who are saying, I'm oh, not I, paying tithing. I I'm agree not... with you, but I think... Okay. Remember, too... I, I, just, I think that... Oh, go no, on. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, I was just going to say, I think for from the church's perspective, like, the cover-up was what really killed them. It wasn't necessarily having Always. the dollars. It yeah. was that they... they exactly, they Nate, exactly. Yeah. And I'll just say, I said this in the last SEC podcast we that we did on that issue when it happened, that whatever they thought the benefit of hiding this amount, they either miscalculated and didn't think about, or they thought it was more beneficial to do that versus the risk of getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar. In other words, they had to have known on the front end, it is possible we get caught. It is possible it makes the news. It is possible that members learn that we have all this money. And whatever the consequence of that is, it was it's worth us lying, building shell companies, using deception, and hiding it on the front end. Yeah. And to, to your point, like how many people have looked up, how many members do you think have looked up the most recent 13F filing of the church? Like actually gone to the SEC website. It's not a, it's not an issue. It's not that big of an issue to your point. Like, I think that you're right about that. It, I think that it probably would have affected some people's tithes paying. Maybe they would have gone from gross to net. Maybe some people would have stopped paying, especially when the church simultaneously is telling you that you need to clean the church for free, that we're going to fire all of our janitors, that, uh, you know, that we don't have enough in the board budget for the next year for youth camp and things like that. And you've got to do your own fundraisers. I think that that does probably, it, it probably does cause some doubts to occur, right? 
But those doubts are smaller than, uh, than maybe what the church would have estimated. But I still think they made the right decision, though, because if you take the present value of all of that extra tithing that they got and you, you compound it over 20 years, mm-hmm. it's still greater than $5 million, which is what the fine was that they had to pay. Mm-hmm. The question so, is now, what's the opportunity cost uh, going forward of all of the tithing that they lost because they lied? And that still remains to be seen. So I, d- I don't know. I also think that the church, the, the SEC is not known for going after violators of the SEC, of 13F ruling, of the F- 13F rule. And so they might have thought that th- this, this scenario that we're in right now never would have happened. They probably thought that this was never going to happen. Um, and, and for good reason, like the SEC has, the SEC did its own investigation of itself and found that it was woefully under, under resourced in this area in terms of going after 13F violators. So I don't know so if that if I'm understanding you, So Spencer, if I'm understanding you correctly, you actually are saying that pragmatically and financially speaking, the church made the smart move in defrauding the federal government and hiding the amount of its assets from the church members that financially speaking, pragmatically speaking, that was a smart move on their part. So far. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have the data of tithing receipts or anything like that, but that's my intuition. Yeah. But my understanding though is also that you would agree that that was a morally and ethically wrong decision to make. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what's going to hurt people in the long run, right? It's not that it's not that the church has a bunch of money that's going to hurt people's testimonies. It's that they lied. That they broke the law. There are people who are getting email requests from their ward or stake or temple district to show up at the temple from ten o'clock at night to midnight to help clean the temples for free, and people are starting to look at that. And if they read the headlines, and they start saying. Why don't you clean your own freaking temple? Right. Why do I have to do this for free? I do all of this other stuff and I pay you tithing. And I pay you fast offerings and you made a buttload of money off the tithing that I've been paying. But you still want more because the church is like, forgive the, um, the purple prose here, but the church is like a vampire that's not going to be satisfied until it drains every drop of blood from every one of its members. And once you know that the church is making these decisions based on financial reasons, you start to see everything through that lens so that when the church says we need to ask for missionaries to pay $500 a month instead of $400 a month, it suddenly feels you feel angry about it. When the church says that they're bringing in doors from Congo to supply one of their temples, you think, why do they need to do that when they could be doing this? Everything seems to be... um, Everything seems to be antithetical to what Jesus would have taught, I feel like, and instead promotes the U.S. dollar, instead promotes uh, uh, the, a vision of prosperity that they want to push on the world. And it's odd. I think it's really odd. Uh, I don't understand it. And I've talked to a lot of active members, including accounting professors, that kind of know these issues, and they— and they all agree that the church should be doing more to help people. They don't necessarily agree that the church shouldn't be building as many temples as they are, but they, but there's enough room to do both, and they just aren't. It's very, very confusing to, I think, everybody. And by the way, there's enough to do both and not even touch the corpus 
that's in the Enzyme Peak account. That's right. And remember, this is also combined with the church saying things like, we are not a wealthy church. There were moments yeah. in time, not too long ago, 10 years ago or so, where church leaders in their talks would say things that indicated they weren't a wealthy church. So they they wanted the member, they lied to the members to think they were barely getting by. When they took the janitors away and made everybody clean the bathrooms, they indicated with their words and their behaviors that this church needed to cut back. And the reality is this church is as wealthy as anyone else out there. Rich as Croesus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me let me exit. So that was Nate. Nate. Thanks Thank for calling in, Nate. Yep. Thank Thanks, you, Nate. Nate. And then I've got uh, another call. Does not have a name on it. I'm gonna. We've got two calls left. Jim. If we can take them. So I'm gonna suspend new calls. I don't know the name for this person, but uh, caller, your name. Hey, good I know it's Peter. It's who? Peter. Peter. Peter, how are you? Yes, mate. Good. I have two questions, if that's okay. So, if I'm Peter, right? But but pronounced different. You're over the ocean, at least the accent wise, right? Yes, mate. I'm uh, way down under. All right, my friend. Where are you calling? Oh, you're down under. That's why I can't understand you. You got to speak English, man. I only make fun okay, of people right, like that I'll who live in All right, other go ahead, continents. my friend. Go ahead. We're just teasing. Number one. First question for UIFM or Spencer. Uh, given this situation now, is this type of deception commonplace amongst just all sorts of corporations? Is this type of deception commonplace? Is that what you asked? Um, no. So there have only been three prior to the church being fined by the SEC. I believe that there were three companies that had been two. Okay. RFM's correcting me. We two companies third. that had been, we were the third that had been, um, uh, caught by the SEC for doing this and fined and their fines were less than much less than a million. So I think one was like, and I'm going from memory now. Uh, one was like Peter, 12, one was one was 10 million one was 25 million and then you get the the LDS church and it's 500 million uh, 5 million I'm sorry let me go back I was off by a factor of whatever one was well, go ahead it was like 100,000 one was 250,000 I think one was like 12,000 yeah they're very very minimal very minimal because typically the 13f violations when you're not actually committing fraud are treated kind of as a minor offense so there are very small amounts for these. but And that was important when you understood that $5 million was actually a massive amount to be levied against the LDS church when compared against fines of a similar nature for other companies doing the same kind of thing. Okay, that's, that's the one thing. But Spencer's using this data to say there's only been three other times when other companies or two other times when companies have been sanctioned for committing the same kind of 13F violations that the church committed. When you yeah. think about when you think about this, most companies want to show huge profits because it benefits the stockholders and all that good stuff, right? It's a rare occasion where somebody is becoming extremely wealthy in the corporate world and they don't want anybody to know that they've got anything at all. That's that's sort of a strange concept. And so I think the church is in this 
really strange position where they are doing the opposite of what everyone else would want to do. Again, I know 13Fs don't get filed. People make mistakes or uh, there can be malfeasance for sure. But it seems like the church's motivation as a nonprofit religious institution is very different than the rest of the corporate world who wants their stockholders to see just how much money they're making. So I, I just looked it up. It was there were there were three instances before Enzyme Peak. Oops, sorry. Sorry, RFM. You were right, Spencer. Was, <laughs> but two of them were for twelve thousand five hundred. That was the fine, and the other one was one hundred thousand. So this one was one, five million. And the reason why you don't see a lot of this: number one, the SEC doesn't dedicate as many resources as they should. But number two, because it's so easy to do. And like you said, Bill, what do they have to hide? Companies don't have anything to hide in the in this. They, when they don't comply, it's because they see this as a nuisance, right? It's an exercise in compliance, and there's just a lot of forms to fill out, and they did it wrong. It's kind of like when the IRS comes back at you and they said you did your, you know, you filed your forms the wrong way. Yeah. And a lot of companies are like, oh shoot, we did it wrong. We got to do it better next time. It's it's not it's not an issue of of defrauding the public like it was here in the church. So this is the first instance I've ever seen of something like that. Apart from, uh, apart from, oh geez. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is the only instance in terms of 13 Fs that I can think of. The the first year. So as a nonprofit, you only have to fill out what's called a 990 N postcard when you make $50,000 or less a year. The first year, Mormon Discussion Incorporated crosses the $50,000 mark. I tried to do the 990 myself. I tried. I filled it out. I sent it in. A couple months goes by. The IRS sent it back. The whole thing just sent it back to me and said, uh, we're not even going to try that. You just start over. <laughs> yeah, and they so, aren't going to get mad at you, right? So it no. wasn't, it was your first time not doing a 990 easy. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was simple. All they essentially, all I had to do was go hire an accountant, hand him the stuff, you know, bite the bullet and pay the guy, whatever it was, 800 bucks to have him do our, our tax filing. And he fills it out and he sends it. And we've been problem free ever since. Like just follow the rules, just follow the rules and you don't have a problem. Yeah. Anyway, so, all right. Pita, did you have another question? Uh, yes, I think. Mate, I'm not sure if this could be aimed at you or Spencer. Uh, given what's been going on, how much or how big a kick up the ass are these people going to get and will they see jail on? I think President Nelson is going to be exhumed and burned in effigy. <laughs> that's, that's not U.S. law. Don't listen to him. <laughs> it's the English common law. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure or, Peter or knows about that. Living in Australia, one of the original penal colonies of England. Yeah, it's possible. This is kind yeah, of like we we talked about this before. It's kind of unprecedented, right? So it's kind of difficult to determine. But yeah, people could face jail time. Ooh. Yeah, especially if you did it again Thank while God. you were Thank doing it the first time. What's that, Peter? That's excellent. Thank you very much. That's yep. it from me. You blokes are doing a fantastic job. Okay. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you so much, Thanks. Peter, for calling in. Thanks, Peter. All right. Last call for the night is Michael. Maybe it's Adam. I don't know. Michael, are you there? Yeah, you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Very good. 
Hey, Bill, Spencer, Radio Free Mormons, you guys got some fucking balls, man. Because it's like, you're going up against these big dogs, and it's... On a shoestring budget. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried for you guys, because I've seen this church just squish people like fucking bugs, man. And you guys are just like doing it, man. And I think I think that shit's gonna just crumble because of guys like you, man. Michael, I will not speak for myself, but as for Bill Real, I can avouch that he has balls of British steel. (laughs) Uh, You seen seen Bill's balls, man? Hey, I have it on Good Report. Club. You know, we call it the fourth anointing. <laughs> okay. Right. But no, for real, you guys, are, you guys are fucking crazy. Hey, don't. Like, keep doing yeah. crazy shit. I'll tell you, Michael, I, I put a post out, I don't know, six months ago or so where I said, like, I don't I don't lose sleep. I'm not I'm not worried. I don't, I don't get scared. None of that stuff. But if you notice, I mean, this is an institution that has a strengthening church members committee. It's got whistling whittlers in its past. It's yeah. got... Uh, it's got uh, the Danites. It's got uh, Brigham Young's Blood Atonement. It's it's got. That's it. That's it. Those things don't those things don't go away, man. It's like <laughs> it's twenty twenty three, but we people Desnat. Don't forget Desnat, Michael. There's Desnat. Uh, you know yeah. these. No, not. High demand fundamentalist religions oh, have their violent past and, and present. Michael, we are a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. Amen. And everyone said, no, I'm, amen. I mean, no, I mean, I cry, I, I cry tears of joy when I, when I'm going to see you guys responsible for, for shit. Um, like RFM, I'm going to open like my bottle of Maker's Mark when you get all this done, man. You're like, saying it's not already opened? Time to celebrate almost. Yeah. No. Anyway, you guys are fucking crazy. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Well, no one should have to follow Michael in the phone in line. That was fun. No, that's the last one. Uh, I'll tell you, though. I mean, there is some truth to that, right? Like, this is a religion that has, on numerous occasions, uh, encouraged or carried out violence spying harassment and uh yet here we are right mm-hmm. uh and uh, every week we show up at least once and sometimes you and i show up more than once in the week just to just to punch this bear in the nose once again <laughs> remember reminds me of a line from a a movie once i like to stick it to the man <laughs> oh <laughs> maybe michael said that in the movie i don't know Oh goodness! Well, anyway, that, that's I mean, enough from, I, from the call bank. Yes, can answer, I ask please. you, R, RFM, when you were going by a when you were going by RFM, and you didn't you didn't divulge your div- identity? Was that Which because you were? Know. Was that because you were worried about <laughs> being outed with your career, or did you have any worries about that, or was that kind of what was the? If you don't want to say, it's fine, but I'm just wondering. Okay, I don't want to say. All right. That's fine. <laughs> no, there's a 
there's a story that is out there. And the story, the real story has to do with personal family stuff and uh, not so much church stuff, really. Because okay. I say in the words of Benjamin Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, I'm shaken in my blue little shorties. Yeah, I think that like, so some people don't have the privilege to be able to come forward and be public about some of the things that they think about the church, right? Sure. Yes. So really all that this is is just an ex- exhibition of of some privilege that maybe we share that other people don't. And hopefully that offers some, some help to them. Um, there are risks to your career and things like that. The people that know you that maybe will judge you in the end though, I think that we're criticizing the institution and we're acting We're I, I feel like I'm saying the things that a lot of active members want to say, but feel like they can't. I'm, speaking on behalf of them and trying to help make a better church and make a better organization and help families be more healthy and less dysfunctional because of the way that the church operates. And so um, as long as we can kind of see, uh, even if we don't see eye to eye, um, you know, I have colleagues that are from BYU. I have colleagues that are, you know, next door in my office that are bishops and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, I think that most of the time members are really great people and they are willing to disagree with you. And in some ways they appreciate voices like URFM and voices like you, Bill, who push against the church because it's causes a more healthy organization in the end. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I feel for everybody who can't, who feels like they can't uh, come out basically as a non-believer people that are still going to church every single Sunday because they, uh, because they don't have that privilege to be able to live the way that they want to live authentically. I think that's a great point, Spencer. I want to ask you a personal question with the observation first that Bill Real has nothing to lose because he's been excommunicated and that I have <laughs> nothing to lose because I've received the second anointing. What's your status and what's your ability that allows you to come on this podcast and reveal the truth about the LDS church? Um. I uh, I don't go to church. My wife uh, helped. Well, I guess my wife and I have both gone down the same path, and it's amazing. Um, and to be able to kind of not be in a in a mixed faith relationship, um, and so I feel like I can live my own authentic life. Um, I do have in the accounting field. There are a lot of BYU graduates, and so it is a huge network. But there's also a lot of ex-Mormons within that network. And I don't feel as though, I feel like we all try and get along. I don't try and, and ruffle any feathers in conferences and things like that. Or tr- if I were to read somebody's paper from a BYU and I was one of their reviewers, I wouldn't treat them any differently. If I knew who they were, technically I'm supposed to be uh, a blind reviewer, but that happens rarely. You kind of know who who the authors are of papers. But... If I knew it was somebody from BYU, I wouldn't treat them any differently. And I, I wouldn't expect them to treat me any differently just because I've been on here. Um, so mostly I, I don't feel any threat despite what uh, was said. I don't feel any threat whatsoever from church members or from uh, the Strengthening Church Members Committee. I think people are just generally good people. Well, it's like Arnold Horshack used to say on Welcome Back, Cotter. When you least expect it expect it are you are you saying that i'm marked or something what are you saying 
I'm just saying when you least expect it, baby. Expect <laughs> Jeez. It. All While right. you sleep, Spencer. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's where that's where I am in my faith journey, and I've never been happier. This has been it's been great, and my really wife glad. is a huge part of that. And I just I'm so glad that I have the wife that I have. Yeah, I'm sure, and I, I'm just sorry to report that you've lost that light in your eyes. Have I? Shoot. Yes. Dang it. You've got black eyes, lifeless eyes, like a doll's <laughs> eyes. Yeah. But I will say, to too, that like some people in widows might. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's always the making the us's and the them's, and the them's are always bad. Yeah. Yeah. My goal in life is to make the us's worse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer, I've got to close this because it's technically my show tonight. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on and leading us through this morass of data, which you have managed with Widow's Might to simplify, streamline, and hopefully carry the the brunt of it over to the audience so they can understand what's going on here. I think it's been clear enough. Of course, I've kind of immersed myself a little bit in this, so I hope it has been. If not, the slides are available on the Widow's Might website. You can look down. They have all their reports there. This is the most recent. It was dropped last Sunday, it's titled DMBA, and you can review the slides in their entirety there, or you can rewind and watch the show again. So thank you so much, Spencer, for coming on the show. I love you like the sister I never had. Thanks, Arthur. Bill- You're my hero. <laughs> thank you, you so are. much. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And Bill, thank you for being on the show and handling everything with such a plumb as you always do. Awesome. Is Maven anywhere? Is did Maven get swept away by the monsoon? Was that the last weather report I heard? From no, India? no. So she's been in the comments all night. Okay, good. And James Raphael did show up. He's in the comments. That internet troll, and uh, he's over there. And so Maven's been entertaining him. He he says once again he'll send an email documenting all of my dishonesty. So I'm excited to see that. That'll be a, that'll be a great day. Well, you so, are a liar from the beginning, Bill. We all know that. I think. Yeah. It's just one deception after another. <laughs> so Thanks so much, everybody. Please come back next week, uh, 6.20 p.m. Mountain Time, for the next episode of Mormonism Live. Same bad time, same bad channel.